thought, you know, what we want to try and do over these next two weeks while the dads are learning to be not just good dads but great dads over the road is that we might be able to have two weeks where we focus upon this whole idea of struggle in our lives. So I wonder if you are here this morning and you ever, ever experience struggle. Um, maybe it's just me. Maybe you struggled here this morning. Uh, you struggled out of bed because it was cold and it was wet last night. Or maybe um, you had to wake all the kids up and you had to get them in tow and it was a struggle. I wonder if we put a microphone in your car this morning, if we might have even heard some struggle. Would anyone like to, to share this morning? Just a little bit of struggle. And so we thought this next two weeks, what we'd do is unpack two weeks of of struggle and looking at a story in the Bible by a man by the name of Habakkuk. I know it's a funny name. Um, if he was an Australian person, he'd probably be called Habby or Kucky or something like that. would give him a nickname, but what we thought we'd do over the next couple of two weeks, this week and next week, look at this whole theme of struggle. There are times in my life where I struggle and I struggle with God. Do you know whether you're here this morning and you are an irreligious person, a religious person, someone who calls himself a follower of Jesus, or maybe someone who is uh, sitting on the fence, uh, an agnostic, or maybe one of those more hardened people who say, you know, I don't even think there is a God. I want to welcome you here today because I think wherever we are on that continuum of faith journey or not, um, we struggle. And even sometimes the most hardened people will say when you ask them, There are moments in my life when I struggle and I find myself praying. Yeah, just calling out to someone or something. Now, they might put it down to the the genetic DNA evolutionary process and that, but others will go, you know, there's something genuine about struggling where I find myself wanting to call out to someone or something. So what we thought we'd do is we'd just sort of tack on this, this theme then. There are times I struggle in my life with God's, silence. I wonder if you're here this morning and you're one of these people that maybe even this week you've been calling out to someone or something, God, if you're up there, will you speak? And all you've experienced is silence. I don't know if you maybe know someone who is a religious person and uh, I just need to apologize for a moment because You've always thought that if someone follows Jesus, if someone actually becomes a Christian, trusts in God, that their lives will be happy. And in fact, this theme this morning, there are times I struggle with God's silence, actually is is a bit of an enigma to you because you've thought, you know what, when people get right with God, life is happy. It all kind of gets worked out. And if you have bought into that this morning, I just want to apologize to you because I think when it comes to knowing God, he actually doesn't deal in happiness He deals in another thing, and it's called hope. There's a great writer by the name Scott Peck. He was a psychiatrist. He wrote a book called The Road Less Traveled. Some of you may have heard about that. In his book, in the first chapter, he says, life is pain. It's the kind of book that makes you want to read on, doesn't it? Life is pain. I just want to read the the next chapters here. This is brilliant. But he says, you know, the sooner or later that you realize that life doesn't owe us anything and there is bad stuff that happens to good people for no apparent reason, the better and the more equipped you will be to be able to cope with some of the struggles in life because it is painful. If you're here this morning and wherever you are on that religious continuum, I just want to say to you that if you've thought that following Jesus and knowing God meant that your life would be happy, it's actually not what he deals in. He deals in hope. And that can bring happiness but what he deals in is this sense of hope. 
So what I want to back up with for a moment is explore this whole idea. There are times in my life that I struggle with God's silence. Let's just back up for a moment and think about this whole idea of silence. I wonder if you've ever experienced those pauses of silence in relationships with people. You know what I mean? A pause. Have you ever noticed what you do in those silences in, with workspaces, community spaces, family spaces where there is a pause in a relationship? And there, Have you noticed what we do in the silence? Yeah, there's two things we do. The first thing we do in there's silence. In any relationship, we, we fill it. Have you noticed that? We fill the silence. And the second thing, when we're filling that silence, we often assume the worst. Now, this is true. I could go for a drive in my car with my son for about half an hour and we could relatively say nothing, yeah, most of the way. And at the end of it, I wouldn't get what's called a cold shoulder. Have you heard that before? Because we're just, we're communicating, but we're not verbalising anything, really. Uh, but if I was to do that same drive with my wife and, and not say anything for about half an hour, I would be getting what's called the cold shoulder at the end of it. You've experienced this before, maybe some of you. Is that when somewhere along the line, in the silence, she'll be thinking things like, oh, he's angry with me. He's not saying anything. Or, he doesn't care. Doesn't he know I've got lots of things that I'd like to unpack right now and I'd like to talk about? Yeah? And he's, he's actually not saying anything because he doesn't care about me. Or, he must be uh, completely preoccupied with something else. How could he be so out of touch with who I am and what's going on in my life? And by the end of it, we actually find ourselves filling the spaces. Have you noticed this? Teachers and mums use this to incredible effect. Have you ever, do you remember growing up and experiencing the silent treatment from your mother? Yeah? There was kids that lined up, something went wrong, and all a mother would need to do is come up to someone and say, okay, line the kids up. And say, all right, I want to know what's going on. Yeah? Do you remember my mum doing that? Maybe it was just my mum. And the four boys would be lined up and sooner or later, what's going on, they would fill that space and one of them would be thinking, she knows, she knows, she knows what we did. No, surely she couldn't. And she would just hold her breath, silence. And then surely as the sun rises, one of the kids, his bottom lip would quiver, you know how it works, and they would crack. See, this is what mums are waiting for. They're waiting for you to crack. And then one of the kids would say, all right, it was him. He did it. And then one of the other the boys would say, I did not. You started it. And, and, and the mother would just be just, just silent. And, and before, like, it wouldn't take more than just a few minutes and the kids would out with the whole thing. Yeah? Now, the trick is the mum didn't know anything about what was going on. Teachers would use this to powerful effect with their students. They'd say, okay, what are you doing? And they'll just pause. And we fill the space and we often assume the worst. We do this, don't we? I remember there was a, there was a retail, uh, retailer who said he uses this silence to great effect. He said, when I'm selling an object, I would actually make the sales pitch to the client and then I would walk away. And he said, I had this mantra that went something like this. The next person who speaks loses. Yeah. He said, that's my, that's, that's my theory of sales. He would give the pitch, he would walk away. He said, sometimes a person would do a loop of my shop. And he said, all I had to do was keep my mouth closed because I know they're filling it with stuff about this negotiation. And he said, but the next person who speaks loses. 
He said more often than not they would come back and they would say yes. Because he said my job there wasn't to actually try and convince them any further. It was for them to wrestle with themselves. Silence is a powerful, powerful thing. Now let's shift gears for a minute. Because if you agree that we often fill it and we fill it with negative ideas, we assume the worst about someone else. You're in a boardroom and someone's there and they're not saying anything. They've got their arms closed, crossed like this. What's going on in your head if you're doing some sort of pitch or presentation? You're thinking, they don't like this. They're angry with me. They're not agreeing with what I'm saying. So everyone here this morning who has their arms crossed, could you please uncross them for me? Just give me a little bit of encouragement. That would be great. Smile at me. Come on, we're a smaller group this morning. Cheer me on here. This would be great. We often assume the worst. Okay, let's shift gears. There are times in my life I struggle with God's silence. Some years ago I was on a walk in New Zealand, the Rootburn Walk. Brilliant scenery. I was on a trek with 14 people. I knew one of them. A friend and I were doing the walk. There were people from all over the world had come and other people from Australia. There was this one particular lady and she would always walk up the front. Whenever we're walking along the track for that four-day trip, she would walk up the front, she'd be distant, she'd be removed from other people. When we stopped for breaks, she'd have small, polite conversation. It was fairly abrupt and then and then would take off again and she'd always be out the front. On the final day of our experience when we're having a banquet together at the table, celebrating this, this Rootburn walk, the four-day trek, she was positioned across from me at the table. And somewhere between the starters and the main meal, she looked across at me and she said this. I want to know if God hates me. Whoa. Can you unpack that for me? Because this is some of the first conversation I'd had with her. She must have figured out along the way someone said that I was a minister of a church and so she's been processing. And she said, I want to know if God hates me. I said, why do you say that? Between starters and main. Why don't you wait for the dessert? It would be so much. And she said, you see, I was married and I got divorced. And the bloke I married became so violent that there are times that I had to pretend that I wasn't breathing so that he would leave me alone. Now, she wasn't coming from a religious perspective where she says, I have this faith in Jesus, I follow him, there any real strong personal connection. But good on her, the integrity within her, she went something like this. I got married and happened to be in a church and when I made promises, I made them before God, even if he's up there, if he exists, and I made promises before him and I broke them. And even under those extreme circumstances, in the silence, my words now, I've been filling those spaces and I've been thinking, surely if there is a God, he must hate me. Whoa. We had a long dinner that night. <laughs> no. No, 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 it's not even long. You see, in the space and in the silence, we can often fill it. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been silently or, or publicly calling out to God and you're in the midst of a struggle and when there's silence, you've been filling the gaps. I've done something wrong. God wants to punish me. There's an angry God up there and he's looking out to get even with me for something that I've done. Or maybe God doesn't even care. 
He's just indifferent to my lot. He's indifferent to my struggles. And when I call out and cry out and there's silence, there is nothing so he doesn't care. Or even worse, one step beyond that, and I can understand why this happens, there is no God. I remember talking to a German Jew who was living in Doncaster some years ago. He was dealing in fine cloth, had done so for decades. He told me his story. He said, I escaped Nazi Germany and went to live in London before it all became chaotic. He said, in that place in London, my family was back in Germany and all of them were exterminated and killed. He said, living in that place where I was in safety and they were in harm's way was appalling. He said, but we would go to sleep of a night time during the blitz when we did not know if we were going to wake up in the morning. He said, sometimes I would walk out my front door and there would be a one-ton bomb that had been unexploded in my neighbor's garden. He said, after seeing all of the violence, after seeing those situations and those those terrible things, I cannot believe that there is a God. You know, wherever you stand this morning on the spectrum of faith or unfaith, religiosity or not, I get that. Okay, let's transition it one step further. This is a man by the name of Habakkuk. I want you to tell you about his story. Because there's two questions that Habakkuk asks that I think are really relevant and are applicable to us today. They're the very things we're unpacking this morning. Just a little bit of background detail, Habakkuk lived in 609 BC. So if I could put you in a, in a time machine this morning, I'd want to take you back two and a half thousand years to a time in the Middle Eastern regions. We're talking about Israel, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Jordan. And I want to take you back and, and show you that the Assyrian nation is on the wane as far as their power is. And Habakkuk, an Israelite man, one of God's persons, he lives in that place. And Jehoiakim, a king, the leader of that nation, is doing a bad, bad, bad job. And Habakkuk has a job as being a spokesperson for God or a prophet. And what's the job or the role of a spokesperson for God or a prophet? It's to do this simple thing. His job is to hear from God and to speak for God. That's his simple job. Hear from God and speak for God. And then we bump into Habakkuk, and this is the first thing we discover about him. Thanks, Rob, is that he's actually asking these two questions. I'm going to read it through. How long, Lord, how long, God, must I call out for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? We don't know how long uh, Habakkuk has been calling out these things. Uh, But he knows that his job is to hear from God and to speak for God. And in the silence, he calls out these two questions. They're questions that you and I ask. They're questions that are relevant to us. Is how long? God, if you're up there, how long must I call for help? And you do nothing. And why? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Why don't you come and do something? All I see around about me is violence. How long and why? I wonder if you're here this morning, if you've ever found yourself calling out to God those two questions, or one or the other. Why is this happening? Why are you allowing it to? Do you see? And you've been tempted to fill the space. God must be angry at me. There mustn't be any God. I must have done something wrong. God's indifferent. He's rolling the dice and he's just giving me something that I don't want this pain and this struggle. And it won't go away. 
Well, this is what Habakkuk continues on. Why is he calling out and why is he crying out to God with these two questions? He says this, wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. I mean, can you imagine? Habakkuk is standing in the midst of a group of people where there is absolute moral decline. He's seeing things go from good to bad to worse. And he's actually seeing all of these things seep into every single part of society, even the law courts. He says people don't pay attention to any law anymore. They're paralyzed. It's paralyzed to do anything and have any effect. And there's no justice in the courts. Even the people who should be saying this is right and this is wrong, they do not deliver justice anymore. He says so much so that everything is perverted. I mean, we could be standing on some of our streets saying that, couldn't we? We could be in Egypt right now and saying similar things. I mean, this is not just his world. In fact, this is our world. I wonder if you've ever looked around and arguing and fighting just at that level. Let's just take it at that level and go, why? Why is this? God, if you're up there, why don't you do something? In my family, there's, there's arguments and fights. You know, in my workspace, there's arguments and fights. In my, in my school space, there's arguments and fights. All I see is violence and destruction. That's a pretty hard place to be in. Now, let's just step back for a moment and ask, why is this? Why is it? that that public spaces and communities and societies can be reduced to this kind of this kind of living. Brought my little whiteboard here with me this morning. If I could say it in one, I'd say it is this that there is a desire within each one of us in our public communal spaces that goes something like this I want. And when you have a community and a society that says I want And they say things like, maybe even they don't say it out aloud, but I want to rule myself, thank you very much. I want to please myself, thank you very much. And I want to serve myself, thank you very much. And they don't have to say it to God, they could just say it to anyone. If we live in a community that says, you know what, I want what I want. I want to rule myself. I want to please myself. If I want something, I'll take it and have it, even if it means being violent or destructive. And I want to serve myself. No matter where you stand on the religious front, if you live in a community that lives by this mantra, you're destined to describe it a little bit like that. Why? Because left to our own devices, this is what can happen. And this is what Habakkuk is standing in the midst of. You know, the Bible has a really good phrase for this, this kind of attitude. I'm going to write it down here. Some of you might miss it. It's called, ouch, it's called this thing called sin. That's living life with, if you like, I in the middle. I want, I need, I must have, and I don't care about anyone else. If you live in a community like that, it gets bad. Okay, let's add one layer to this. Thanks, Rob. One thing that these people that Habakkuk is standing in the midst of that increases, if you like, the tension within him, he says that these people were supposed to be God-like people. These people were supposed to be favoured by God, loved by God and live for God. In fact, they were supposed to experience a relationship with God that where they knew him and he knew them and that they would reflect who he is to the world around about. 
This was their calling, if you like. This was their destiny. This is what they were supposed to do. And, and basically, the mantra that they had to live by, God would say, if you do well by me, you will go well in this land, in this place. And they were doing appallingly. So Habakkuk stands in the midst of all of this and he sees what's going on and it's just raised and increased his how long and for these people and why they should be doing something different. Now let's just back up here for a moment. Do you know what we call people who say one thing with their mouth and live another way? Particularly religious people. Do you know what we call them? We call them hypocrites. Have you ever met a religious person who is a hypocrite? They say one thing with their mouth and they live another way. I mean, this is what was going on here. Can I apologize this morning? If you have met someone who says they know Jesus or they're a Christian or they're a religious person and they have lived another way, you know, so many people are turned off wanting to discover anything about God because they've seen someone who doesn't live it and they know. They know, they can see. Conversely this, can I say as well? If you have met someone who actually lives an authentic life, even if you don't believe in what they believe in, if they live out that authentic life according to their faith, according to their convictions, that will also be something that will usually be appealing for you because they pass the integrity test. And here's Habakkuk in the midst of all of these things, his attention's even higher. He says, God, how long? And why? See, the good news of following Jesus is that people who do, they recognise the simple fact that they are a hypocrite at times. The simple truth is when I point my finger at these people and say, yeah, I agree, they're doing the wrong thing, they're the bad thing, usually I find that there's three fingers pointing back at me, yeah? Because this doesn't happen just at a public level, does it? This, This power, this want is also at a personal level too, isn't it? So someone who follows Jesus, if I could just expand on it for a moment, is someone who says, God, I find that I want to do the things that you don't want for me. I find that I need this fixed. And Jesus has done something about that. God, would your life come and be in me? In fact, the very thing that someone who follows Jesus accepts is that they're a hypocrite. They're going to fail. They're going to make mistakes. But they they humbly accept that. And say, God, would you make the changes that I can't? Would you forgive? Would you transform? That's what your son was doing when he was bleeding for me. Would you do that in my life? Let's jump back to Habakkuk. Because this is what happens. We don't know how long he's been calling out, why or how long, but somehow he knows that God finally responds and speaks to him. It says in a vision, we don't know if that's a dream We don't know if that's a picture that comes. We don't know if there's an audible voice. But this is why eventually God responds. And he says these words effectively. If I could paraphrase them, it would go something like this. Habakkuk, I am listening, but you are not going to like my answer. You know, sometimes when God gives an answer to people, it might not always be the one that they're looking for. In fact, it might even cause more confusion at the start. But this is what he says. Look around at the nations, God says to a Habakkuk. Look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. God's first response to Habakkuk is, Habakkuk, I haven't forgotten you. I've been hearing and listening to your cry, and you are not alone in it. In fact, I am doing something, and I will do something even in your lifetime. 
I'm not inactive. I'm not angry with you. I've heard your cries. And then he gets this thing that, that we're going to unpack next week with Lucy. I'm glad that she's got that because it's the harder thing to talk about. I've got the easier gig this week. He says, I am raising up the Babylonians. What? The Babahu? I'm raising up the Iranians and they're going to come down and they're going to sweep into your country. And you thought the Assyrians were vicious and violent. These people are even more so. Wow. It's at that point Habakkuk would stop and he would say, God, you've heard me, but I don't get you at all. Okay, let's pause here. Let's pull things together. If you stopped at this moment and you said to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, what have you learnt about the questioning in your life and God's silence? I think you'd say here's four different things I've been learning. Number one, there are times, wherever you are on the religious spectrum, if you call out to God, there are times of silence that you might experience. Number two, in that silence, I think he would encourage people and say, please don't try and fill that space with the worst possible scenario like we do in any other relationship consistently. It's not because he's angry with you necessarily. It's not because you've done something really bad necessarily. It's not because he's indifferent or he doesn't care. But resist the temptation to say it's the worst thing possible. Thirdly, I think Habakkuk would say, in my life I've discovered that even in those times of silence there's a God and he hears. And he's not indifferent. And he loves and he's merciful and he gives, but he's also just. And he calls people to account to. And lastly, sometimes when God speaks, you don't have to get God to know God. You don't have to ask every answer, every question of yours answered to know him. But he wants you to trust him. Some years ago when I was studying at college, there was a really softly spoken gentleman, a teacher, and near the end of one of his classes, in his quiet way, you'd have to strain your ear to hear him. He just quietly said, I don't know why God allowed my wife to drive down the driveway that particular morning. I don't know why God allowed the car to come out out of nowhere when she pulled out of our driveway onto the main road just in front of our house. Because that car came over that little dip at a speed and she didn't see it and the car hit her car and she died. And he said, I don't know if I'll ever know this side of eternity. Why God allowed that to happen. But he's good. He's trustworthy. There are struggles in life we all have. And that was his. There's a little story, just jump forward, two and a half thousand years. Jesus is speaking. And he told this little story to his followers. He said, I'm telling you this story so that you will not lose heart, even when times are hard and difficult and you struggle. He said there was once a judge, and he was a judge that didn't fear God and he didn't care for people. 
He's a bad judge. And there was this, this widow, she came to him and, and she kept saying, would you give me, would you give me guardianship? Would you give me protection? Would you apply the law to me so that you can defend me? And the judge ignored her at the start because he didn't fear God and he didn't care for anyone. He was just in it for himself. I want to rule myself. I want to please myself. I want to serve myself. But this woman, this widow, she kept coming back and she said, would you protect me? Would you give, give me legal position here? Would you look after me? And the judge went, just said something like this. I'm not responding to her because I fear God or because I fear anyone. It's because she keeps nagging me and nagging me and nagging me. I just want her off the books. And so he gives her protection and he applies the law to her situation. And Jesus said, how much more a God who does hear and who will not delay, even if it's not in your timing, or even the way in which you want him to respond. But he's there. And would you trust him? These days are going to come and we're going to finish with the song this morning. And as they come, I want us to think about these following things for next steps. Because this is the first part of two weeks. I wonder if you're here this morning and you've been struggling with something in life and you're wondering, God, do you hear? Do you care? What you need to do is take the words of Habakkuk. These words of Habakkuk from chapter 3 that says, Counting on God's rule to prevail, I take heart and gain strength. You want to write them down on the white card with you right now. But you can take them with you. Maybe you're not even a religious person and you're saying, God, are you in control? Do you rule? And will you prevail? Would you help me to take heart and gain strength from that truth and from you? You might just want to write that down and take it with you. Maybe you're here this morning and the whole Jesus thing doesn't seem to be able to fit on the spectrum for you. You're wondering how it works. Would you sign up? This is our journeys course. On those, one of those cards, would you just say, let me do the journeys course reluctantly. Let me do the journeys course because someone's dragging me. Can I do the journeys course and don't bother me with hard questions. It's a place where you can ask about God. Maybe this morning prayer. We're going to have Ian, we're going to have two people down here at the front this morning and say, you know what, I just, I just want to know if there is a God up there that he's compassionate and he's gracious and that he would sustain me in my struggle. So we'll do that. You know, God's only spoken to me, I think, clearly in my life, audibly once. Other times, strong inclinations, promptings, those things. But there's times in my life that I experience God's silence too. I have all my questions answered. But I've discovered that in Jesus, there's someone who travels with you that gives you a perspective that shifts things. So that God can come alive in you. And you're walking through this life with someone. And at the end, there's a win. And it's a big win. That makes all the difference. Have a listen to these words and allow God to speak to you or you speak to him.